Northern New York Community Podcasts, stories from the heart of our community. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Northern New York Community Podcast. I'm your host, Max Del Signor. We have another special community conversation to share with you, so let's get started. At the center of Sylvia Heap's lifelong commitment to philanthropy has been service. If there was a local project, organization, startup, or initiative that needed an extra boost, she seemed to be there with a helping hand. In our chat with Sylvia, she will share why citizen philanthropy has been so gratifying. Plus, she will give details about a couple of efforts that she is most proud of, participating in the establishment of Jefferson Community College and helping with the launch of a public broadcasting station in the region. And finally, we will talk about what the North Country has meant to her and her family and why philanthropy is vital to the future of our communities. Sylvia, it is a great pleasure having you here on the podcast. Thank you, Max. It's hard to believe nearly 60 years ago, you and your husband Walker came to Northern New York. Uh, could you share just some details about the move and your arrival to the area? Sure, we had been uh, at Yale Medical School many years, uh, the four years, and then to Ann Arbor, Michigan, where he had his internship and residency. And when we were finishing up, uh, my brother's good friend, Dr. John McCreary, who lived in Watertown said, they're in need of an orthopedic surgeon in Watertown and we should take a look. So we did, we came here to Watertown and Dr. and Mrs. McCreary entertained us in their home. They had a little boy who was the same age as our little boy. And so we had an immediate connection. And uh, they said that there were two hospitals here. They had no orthopedic surgeon. They were sending the difficult cases to Syracuse. And so this was um, pretty much a deciding factor for my husband. He really felt it was a place where he would be needed. And he was so busy the first day that he was working until 11 o'clock at night. Wow. And within a couple of years, we were able to send for another person, Dr. James Fish, who is one of our other um, residents at the University of Michigan. So it, uh, it was, a an immediate opportunity for him. And for me, it wasn't quite as easy because <laughs> we, we arrived quite liberal young people coming from New Haven, Connecticut, from Ann Arbor, Michigan, and Watertown was a much more conservative community. But we found wonderful people and we were going to All Souls Church at that time. Oh, sure. And Henry Case, um, Rick Jones, uh, there were a number of people who were very active in the community um, who were members of that church. And so I got involved um, with the art committee immediately at the church. And then they asked me if I would do public relations for the development of a religious education wing there. It was the old stone church on Washington Street and the old church burned in 1958, I think, hmm. yes. Oh, I backed that up. It was 1985 when it burned. Oh, okay. <laughs> Reversing numbers here. Going back a little okay. further in time, yes. you and your husband are Bates College alumni. Yes. How you met's a really interesting story. Can you, can you tell us what sure. the first interaction was like between the two of you? Sure. He was a football player and it was a football Saturday. And there at Bates, they have a dance uh, at Chase Hall for the whole, whole, whole school. Um, and the girls come in a group 
it was at that time when girls' dormitories and men's dormitories were separate. And so the girls came in a group and the guys in another group. And my husband has a story, it's better to hear him tell it really, because he says he looked across the dance floor and he said, that's for me. <laughs> <laughs> and his story is that he knocked down 12 guys getting to me. Well, the number varies according to the t time he tells it. But anyhow, that was the story. And the dance, um, the idea was that if a man asked you to dance the seventh dance, that meant he wanted to walk you home, back to the dormitory. Well, he asked me not only for the seventh dance, but every dance, and just let nobody else cut in. <laughs> so when we got back to the dormitory, I went in, and there, all of my friends were sitting in the lounge and waiting for me. And they said, do you know who that is? And I said, yes, it's Walker Heap. And they said, he was making all of the touchdowns in the football game today. <laughs> and I said, yes, but he can dance. <laughs> Boy, and the two of you hit it off so well. And um, <clears throat> before you came, you mentioned Yale and Michigan, the stops that you had there. And one of the things in our first conversation we had before today's interview, you had talked about the, the sacrifice each of you would have to make to, to have some of the goals that you had as a couple and to grow your family, to make those a reality. Can, can you share just a little bit about um, those stops at Yale and Michigan and as a couple trying to figure out how are, how are we going to best achieve our goals and the things we want to do? Well, we knew that he wanted to be a doctor and, and was admitted to Yale Medical School. Um, the year after we graduated, I got a job working as a YT director in Holyoke, Massachusetts. And so I was able to save some money. And at the end of that year, in 1951, we were married. And um, then I got a job at the community house in West Haven, Connecticut, because he had to have somebody help him get through school. He was on a GI Bill getting through college. But medical school and internship and residency, he needed, needed me to work. So um, we started out and we lived in the Quonset Hut village that's right near the Yale Bowl. And there were a lot of young um, people there. You, you shared a whole Quonset Hut. It was cut in half and the doors on either side. So there, um, it was not much question about what was going on in the other half, you know, <laughs> not a great deal of privacy, <laughs> but it was a good community nevertheless. So my job was at the community house and I had to walk four miles to go across Forest Road to get to the community house. And he would ride his bicycle to his classes at Yale. Well, after a while, it got to the point where we thought there has to be a more efficient way. I took a bus for a while that had to go down into New Haven and then the bus back up to West Haven. Um, but we decided that we would use the money and buy a car. Well, we bought a car, a very much used car, but we called her Desdemonia de Heaps. There was our money. <laughs> <laughs> and we went through those years of medical school and residency and internship, we said they were years of genteel poverty because we were both well-educated and very much interested in the community and in the work we were doing, but um, there wasn't a great deal of money. <laughs> how, how did that experience um, and, and, and living in that way, how did that tailor or influence your willingness to give back in your community or the places that you lived prior to coming to Watertown? 
well, of course, we having had an experience of not having much money, we were in sympathy with other people who didn't have much money. And um, uh, so that all of our lives, I guess we've tried to be somewhat frugal. I think we can jump ahead and think to the times when we were working here, too, that my husband provided free care for all of the doctors and their families, for the ministers and their families, the Sisters of Mercy. All of these people were um, patients whom he did not charge. And we had a wonderful story uh, that we heard the other day that uh, our, our new daughter-in-law told of a friend of hers who um, her mother had had an experience where her daughter was in the hospital and the bill was getting big and it was coming toward Christmas time and she wasn't going to have money enough to buy Christmas presents. And so um, she went to Dr. Heap and she said, could we defer payment for a while? It's, and he said, yes. He took the bill and he wrote paid in full on it, which was something that she remembered and still comments on. You know? Those values and that willingness to be able to give to those in need you both have that as part of your fabric and your being. Where did some of those values you think come from? How did you get to this point where you felt giving back was so important to both of you? My parents were both um, community oriented. My dad was a minister at the beginning and then he got involved more and more in national and international work. He was one of the heads of the World Council of Churches and Church World Service was one of his projects. But interestingly, he also uh, got a job where he was a head of the foundation for the Japanese International Christian University in Tokyo, Japan. So he would go back and forth to Japan to get that university started. And he was also present at the founding of the United Nations in San Francisco in 1945. So, so much of that uh, was reflected in my own growing up. But my mother, too, even though we thought of her as being the church organist and the and choir director and, and mother, um, developed her leadership skills, too. And she became the national president of the American Baptist Women and, um, and was awarded a Doctor of Humane Letters degree from Bates College. Her, it was her college, too. How did they inspire you? I think by um, just their presence, by their own attitudes. Well, we got involved, of course, as young people. There was a youth council of churches then, and um, we did a number of things to help in the community. But one of the things, that was a time when race relations were very strained. And um, we had uh, at least one young black person in our group. And so we started checking with the restaurants in the area to see who, how they would react to a mixed racial group. And then we decided that we would boycott the restaurants that would not welcome a racially mixed group. And it was uh, another one of the, the things growing up. Then my dad's uh, involvement in the United Nations too. We had on the United Nations, um, a United Nations float for the 4th of July uh, parade there in Ridgewood and uh, we would invite students from International House in New York City to be our guests and stay in our homes. Well, and all those experiences at a young age, I feel like gave you such a great foundation for when you and your husband arrived in Watertown. You had kind of this global view of community. 
Um, and there were a couple of folks you mentioned early on, Rick Jones, Henry Case, those that kind of engaged you right away. Yeah. What were a couple of the early projects that you participated in as soon as you settled here in Watertown? Really, just as soon as we settled here, I got involved in Jefferson Community College because uh, we had gotten the Watertown Daily Times as soon as my husband thought that he might be interested in coming here. We, we got the Watertown Daily Times. We found that there was a citizens committee for a community college in Jefferson County. And um, it was being put up to the Board of Supervisors to make the decision. But the Board of Supervisors decided that they would have a public referendum on it. Um, when we arrived, I called Russ Penny, who was the head of the Citizens Committee. And I said, is there anything I can do to help? He said, anything you can do to help? <laughs> yeah, that was a rather unusual phone call. And the very next morning, two very tall men, both over six feet tall, were at my front door. And this was Graham Hodges, the minister of the, the Congregational Church, and Russ Penny himself. And they presented me with a list of shut-ins from different churches. And the idea was that I would contact these shut-ins and have them hand address brochures that would be telling the benefits of a community college in Jefferson County. So I traipsed around to these different people and managed to get them, several of them, to say that they would do it. And then they would address them for us. We would pick them up and mail them. Um, and after speaking to groups and doing various other things, we lost that first referendum by eight votes. Wow. And that was not a, exactly a blow, but it was a call for beginning again. So we started over again. And there again, visiting all the many different groups in the community, the Rotary, the College Women's Club, um, all the various other groups. Um, we, um, then we had the next, the second referendum was held and that, oh, I want to tell you too that, that uh, one of the things I was asked to do was to have a, a discussion with high school students about whether or not they would be interested in attending a community college. And it was, it was very fruitful because so many young people would love to go to college but they couldn't afford it. And having a college right here made it possible for them to think about higher education. So that was instrumental, I think, too. Uh, but all the contacts that were made helped us pass the second referendum by 2,900 and something votes. So it was a big success. Why was this effort in trying to establish Jefferson Community College in this area, why was this effort or that effort so important to you? Well, we had, I have been interested in education for a long, long time, but living in communities where there was a college, well, New Haven, um, Ann Arbor, we could see how much a, com a community benefits from having staff, faculty, students um, in their community. And so, um, yes, it meant a great deal to me. And that wasn't your only thing that you did. You know, once JCC was established, there were other things you decided to kind of pursue once, once the college was up and running. What were some of the things that you decided to keep going with to, to keep your engagement with the college the same? Well, I got involved with the continuing education and um, the person who was in charge had to resign quite quickly and I was chosen to be the head of the um, continuing education um, advisory board. And so I, did, I had that job for 30 years. And we did some very good things too. We were able to get a bus 
going from central Watertown out to the college so that people would be able to get there by bus. We started the daycare um, for students who uh, needed to have a child taken care of while they were taking classes. Um, there were a whole lot of projects that we did uh, in that. That was with D. D. Reen Valentine as the head of continuing education. How has the college changed since oh, it's inception? Grown. It's grown immensely and it's grown beautifully. Now with the new dormitory, people can stay right on campus and that increases the sports opportunities and cultural opportunities. Carol McCoy has been a superb president of the community college. You see, I have been, um, have met with all of the previous presidents too. And Carol has said she has taken the reins and done such a beautiful job. We just are very, very proud of the work she's done. She received the Athena Award this past year for her work. Another project that was kind of early on, but very much of strong interest to you was starting public television in this area. Um, you were asked to help launch WNPE, WNPI, and served on the board for 10 years. What was that experience like for you? And how were you engaged to, to help get that launched in this area? Well, one of the things that, um, of course, I really believed in the opportunities of having people in their own homes have that kind of an educational experience because it, we called it educational television. And um, it, was, it was providing an alternative to um, other kinds of television, and we really appreciated that. I was asked to be um, in charge of a special program that was called The Puzzle Children. And this was the story of dyslexia and, um, and what was being done to com combat it. And I discovered that my own son had some tendencies toward being dyslexic. So I found another doctor's wife in Syracuse whose son had been having problems with dyslexia. And she came up and we interviewed her. And we talked with a number of doctors and other people for that um, after program of the, the Puzzle Children. Then another project that I got involved in was um, the Chemical People Project. And that was one that was initiated by Nancy Reagan. And this was a national project that was done on public television. And we um, established groups in three counties and in southern Ontario to have people watch the program. And then there would be follow-ups with the help of Father Ray and Bobby Leahy and Edie Marcella and others in the community, we had the programs and then on the in the newspaper we had a We Care column, which was so that people could read and see ways of combating alcohol and drug abuse among young people. How does public television added to the quality of life in this community? Oh, I think immensely. It provides an alternative, but more than that, um, this station has connected with Canada. We call it a two-nation station. And this was something that we um, would actually go across the border in order to establish some of these things, like, like for instance, the uh, dyslexia was something. It has offered excellent programming, and one of the things that I appreciate so much and make sure that my husband watches diligently are the musical programs and the uh, arts programs, yeah. So as we go down the list, you're, you've been an organizer, you have vast public relations experience, 
you've been a volunteer, you've been an educator, I mean, the list goes on, there's a lot that you've done. This combination of involvement really defines your citizen philanthropy. Of all of these activities, what have you enjoyed or did you enjoy the most? That's hard to say, but I, I think perhaps, I wor I've worked with a medical, um, it was called auxiliary years before the doctor's wives. And um, I have always been interested in activity and dance and um, physical activity. And the Medical Alliance started a program called nationwide called Shape Up for Life. And this was something that was done for particularly women, but, but children, um, helping them learn health ways, healthy ways of eating, of exercising. Um, and with that, uh, I would go to the different meetings, um, state meetings and even national meetings. And I was asked to do exercise breaks instead of coffee breaks. And this was very short um, times in between sessions when people would get up and stretch and do a little aerobics and, and place. You know, and uh, those are things that I enjoyed a lot. Um, the other thing is that I carried that interest to one of the classes at JCC too. We had some, <clears throat> some people, excuse me, some people asking for classes for um, women in, in exercise and fitness and all. And there didn't seem to be anyone at that time who was just ready for it. So I took courses with Bonnie Pruden, with Jackie Sorensen, aerobic dancing, with yoga, um, with meditation, and started a workshop of my own uh, and did that for seven years. And you, so you've assisted with so many pro projects, programs at all three levels, local, state, federal. And many of these opportunities happened because people asked you to participate. Um, or you pursued them on your own. Who are a few of the other local friends or peers that are, or you feel are responsible for your level of citizen philanthropy? Well, I think probably, I mean, we talked about Russ Penny and Graham Hodges for sure. Graham was a friend and mentor and um, a very creative person. Are there others that stand out, other individuals that maybe you haven't mentioned that yes. participate on so many projects with you over the years? One, one I think of particularly is Joan Jones, who was the head of Lyric Theater. And uh, I was asked to be um, on the board of Lyric Theater for, well, that, that too was over 10 years. But um, first of all, I started out doing public relations and uh, started with South Pacific was the first, and we were doing public relations for three shows a year, which was really, wow. Joan would say, finished one and started right in on another. And she <laughs> had that tremendous energy and ability to, to present these wonderful shows. One that we did, um, we did 1776, which was um, in 1976. And we had different members of the community who played the roles of all of the different signers of the Declaration of Independence. So I had articles in the newspaper that it would show each of those people dressed in their costumes <laughs> and then tell something about who it was they represented and also who they were as actors. And that was um, one of the things that we, that we did to try to draw more people into the Lyric Theater. Had some excellent, excellent performers at that time, Jay Lee Flynn and others, and just wonderful young people. 
when you look back at the range of things that you've been fortunate enough to participate in or programs that you've started, how does it feel to give back the way that you and your husband have over all of these years, and particularly here in Watertown? I think it's been an enlarging experience in general because all of these different activities um, made friends in so many different areas and wonderful, wonderful people. One of the things we've talked about with, the, with this podcast too is trying to inspire the next generation to give as your generation has. If a high school student <clears throat> or a young professional was asking you for advice on how, how to get started in getting involved in the community, what advice would you share with that person? I would say to find out what your own interests are and then, and then pursue those because if they're well, if there isn't an organization, then maybe they can find another area where there, have, there has been a, a successful organization and use that as a guide. In my own family, my three children are all involved in some kind of service work. Um, my, our, our oldest is a doctor, and she was a doctor on an Indian reservation for 28 years, and now she started a new practice of integrative medicine up in Maine. Um, because she felt that there needed to be more emphasis on good food, exercise, sleep, fellowship. And um, our, our son works at Fort Drum in the environmental program there. Our youngest daughter is a respiratory therapist. She uh, became interested in that. One of the incidental things was that I, have, I get asthma from various things. And so she has been helping people who have lung problems and have diseases and saving a lot of lives that way. Then also <laughs> carry to the next generation, our grandson, our oldest grandson, uh, was in the mock United Nations, a uh, model United Nations, excuse me, the model United Nations in Minnesota where he grew up. And our daughter, granddaughter, um, was the secretary of the model United Nations in Syracuse. So they have carried out that, my father's interest and my own interest. Um, I haven't mentioned that through our church, I have been the envoy to our United Nations office in New York City. And this year was the 40th year, and uh, was, I was recognized for the 40 years of service as an envoy. Way back, Adlai Stevenson suggested that churches could have a representative acting as an envoy between the church and the United Nations and helping to bring the message of, of what was going on in the world body back to their own uh, churches. And so um, I started out in 1975 and um, would go and be, uh, go to the spring seminars uh, there in United, in, at the United Nations in our United Nations office. And then Carrie have a United Nations Sunday always a service in our church. So to have so many uh, generations of your family beginning to exhibit philanthropy in their own, in their own way, um, how important or how gratifying is it for you and your husband to see the generations, the legacy of your family kind of continuing on in philanthropy um, and having them kind of participate in making their communities better in a way? It's wonderful because I think we think in terms of, we talk about legacy, and um, that part of our legacy is not just 
the organizations that we've supported and the development that they have made, but also that our children are going to be able to carry on and grandchildren with some feeling of the importance of service to community. And that, that I think, as we grow older, this is an important part of our lives that we realize that what we are leaving behind is going to be helpful. And to dovetail off that point, what do you hope will be the legacy for you and your husband in this community? If you could describe it, what would you say is the legacy of Sylvia and Dr. Walker Heap here in Watertown? Well, it encompasses so many different organizations. Um, I, th I think, though, that, that we have made a difference in the community. He, he started the North Country Orthopedic Group, and with all of its um, doctors now, um, and also he, he started a shooting preserve out on Evans Mills and taught people safety and uh, how to, uh, he, he, raised, he raised pheasants, incubated the pheasant eggs. We would go out and gather some of the pheasant eggs and take them to our Sunday school chat class and the children could hold a pheasant egg and watch it pip and see the, the way that life was originating, you know or with that this was, these were going to be pheasants that would grow up and be able to be released into the wild. It's a wonderful lesson to share in that kind of example. Yes. Why do you believe citizen and community philanthropy is so important to the North Country's future as a whole? Because there are people uh, who are in need in this community and there are organizations that are, are in, in need of help and that people need to be able to see what they themselves are able to do to help these different organizations. And there are institutions, programs, classes that are still impacting residents in our region all because of your ambition and thoughtfulness. And you, know, you have said before that legacy is your life and what a life it's been for you and your husband. Um, we've all been fortunate enough to benefit from your good work and the passion for this community. And we appreciate you coming on the podcast to share your story, what these experiences have meant to you. Thank you. This is, uh, there's one story I want to tell you about. Oh, sure. This is um, when I was pursuing um, the fitness. Uh, there was a, pro a program called Fitness for the 80s that was in Washington, D.C. And it was originated by the American Medical Association and Senator Ted Kennedy, which was a pretty unusual combination. <laughs> but it was, it was classes and, and very, it was, uh, there were a lot of celebrities that were there. And after, in between one session, one woman came up to me and she said, are you somebody? And I thought, what a question, am I somebody? <laughs> and I knew that what she meant was, are you famous? Uh -huh. And so that I think that um, part of the legacy is that we try to help people find the somebodies that they are and then reach out to other people. Well, I know this area, this community certainly appreciates the somebody that you and your husband have been for so long and what you've meant to this area. Um, it means a great deal to us and to have your story that will hopefully inspire others in the next generation to, to follow your lead is, is certainly what we hope for. But thank you for being such a great example um, for us to follow in this community. Thank you, Max. Thanks again for tuning in to this edition of the Northern New York Community Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode with Sylvia Heap. 
We are grateful to have support of WPBS-TV and the Northern New York Community Foundation so we can continue sharing these conversations about community philanthropy on this very platform. Stay tuned for more great stories from the heart of our community, and thanks again for listening. Northern New York Community Podcasts, stories from the heart of our community.